Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Now that all those housekeeping things are out of the way, I'm excited to introduce to you our sermon series um, uh, uh, about households that change the world. And you guys have a household that can truly change the world. You see, every person alive exists within a household, whether you're single, you're married, whether you're a parent, whether you're divorced, part of a blended family, whether you're widowed or adopted, Every person that is watching this has a last name. You are a family unit, and you have a household, whether that's a household of one, a household of 10, or a household of 100, if you have lots of first and second cousins like my wife does. Um, You see, what this does is having a household gives you a unique and special place in the history of the world, and it gives you a unique and special vision that God has for your life. Now, you see, in our culture, um, and this is going to help give us an introduction to this series, um, in our culture, there are two different narratives. There's two different perspectives on the household. There's the secular and there's the religious. And so when we begin our time today, I really want us to dive in for a few minutes and look at how the world views the household um, in these two ways, through the lens of the modern secular or through the lens of the traditional uh, religious lens. And then I want us to see how the gospel is a third way to see the household and the purpose of the household. So that's what we're going to do for a few minutes, and then we're going to talk about um, what a single household looks like and what it looks like to be joining God's kingdom work as a single household. So um, beginning, the, the, like I said, there, there's two different narratives on the idea of household in our culture, and the first is the modern secular narrative of the household. And this modern secular narrative, it values individualism and freedom as the most important thing in your life. It says you want to be free and you want to be able to express yourself any way that you want to. And at the core of this secular view of the household is that the smaller your household is and the more mobile it is, the better it is, right? And and what happens with this secular concept of the household it really struggles to imagine a happy life with the constraints of a marriage, with the constraints of parenting children, and maybe even with the constraints of caring for aged relatives, especially when you are younger. The, this perspective says, especially when you're younger, you need to go sow your wild oats. You need to go make mistakes. There's actually whole country songs talking about making mistakes and being kind of proud of that as a young person person. And then maybe when you get older, you can settle down, right? But, but at the beginning, you need to be young and free and uh, free of any constraints at all. Independence is king. The self is sovereign. And then what it does is it then views household relationships, right? A, a partnership of any kind is meant to support the individualism of both parties. And if it doesn't, then it needs to be cut off, right? That is kind of the modern secular understanding of the household. But there's also kind of a traditional or religious narrative of the household as well. And what that says is that the nuclear family is the most important thing in your life. That there is no honor without a large and expanding family. 
And in this concept, children are worshipped kind of as the central focal point of the family. And that, this, that you need to have an appearance of stability. You need to have an appearance of comfort. And this appearance of stability and comfort to those around you is kind of elevated in importance, even to the detriment of authenticity and self-sacrifice. So it says, I, I want to be put together, I want to look good, I want to look successful, even if that means I'm not authentic, and even if that means I, I can't even sell, sacrifice for the benefit of others, as long as my children are okay, then everything in my life is okay, and I'm okay. And in, in the traditional religious perspective, it really struggles to understand a worthwhile and, and meaningful existence that's filled with love, apart from having a spouse and bearing children. And so uh, you can even see, even in our language, that you could be in different places in the country and different cultures that will value different things. Let me give you two examples. One, if you are in New York City as a 21-year-old with, that was married with two kids already, they would look at you like you're an insane person. They're going to be like, what kind of cult are you a part of that you're 21 years old and you're married with two kids? They look at you like you're crazy. However, you could be in Clarksville, Tennessee as a 35-year-old single female and many people would look at you and say, uh, what's wrong with you? Why don't you have a man yet? Um, why are you so picky? What must be broken about you that you are not married? Now, if you flip those and reverse them, right? If, if you have a 21-year-old that has a spouse and two kids in Clarksville, that is kind of the norm. It's kind of socially accepted. And a 35-year-old working woman living in New York City, no one would even blink an eye uh, to question why she was married or not married. So it kind of depends both on your culture that you grew up in, and it depends on the culture that you're living in. I've even had people look at me strange when I say that my wife and I, my wife and I have been married almost nine years now, um, that, that we don't have kids yet. And they kind of look at you like, well, you really don't know what it's like to love until you've had children. And so we've even experienced a little bit of that um, being here in the more traditional conservative South. And, and what happens is, is that you kind of see both perspectives looking at each other at times. You see, the religious perspective kind of looks down on the secular perspective in judgment. Uh, it, it wonders, how can you know true love without bearing children? How can you even experience love without kids? Um, however, the secular perspective, um, it, it looks down on the religious people in disdain. It kind of says, how can you be truly happy without having freedom? How could you have ever really experienced life if you didn't sow your wild oats when you were younger? And you see at the core of it, the secular perspective on the household says that we gain happiness through freedom. And the religious, pr traditional religious perspective says that we have love through marriage and bearing children. Now see, here's the thing. In both of these pursuits, happiness and love, uh, th there is a distortion of God's intended purpose and design for the household. In both of these pursuits of happiness and love, there is a distortion of God's intended purpose and design. And in fact, each of these perspectives seek to build their own kingdom. They seek to build their own kingdom. Um, that There is a kingdom of happiness that gets built on the idol of freedom. You can kind of see that in the secular perspective, the kingdom of happiness. I am happy when I am free and independent of all obligations. 
I can be who I want to be. And when I fully expend that, then I can choose to serve or sacrifice or limit myself in some way. However, we can also see that there's this kind of kingdom of perceived love, right, through the idol of marriage and children. It can say, well, look at me. I have real love. I have a real meaning and purpose because I I have a spouse and, and I am bearing children. Now, both of these perspectives are wrong. And the beauty of this is that Jesus comes and makes a better way for us through the gospel. The gospel is the third way to look at the household. It rejects both independence and the family as an idol. You see, the gospel, what the gospel does is it brings us into a true knowledge of both happiness and a true knowledge also of love that is actually filled with self-sacrifice. It's filled with an intense, beautiful optimism for the future. And then it also has a proper and balanced view of all households, regardless of size, regardless of dynamic, that says that we all can contribute to the kingdom of God. It says that you can be single and contribute to the kingdom of God. You can be married, contribute to the kingdom. You can be um, parents and contribute to the kingdom. And actually, you can have any one of those things, and not be contributing to the kingdom as well. It focuses not on your state or the size of your house or dynamics, but rather it focuses on the value of your focus on the kingdom, whether you're focusing on the kingdom of Jesus or on building your own kingdom. And let me explain how the gospel counters both the secular, modern, and how it also counters the traditional religious. Now, the gospel counters this modern, secular perspective of the household. By stating that marriage, that children, that that growing households are actually an act of faith that God is going to restore and redeem all things. And so we don't have to be fearful of losing our freedoms, but rather we look to Jesus who laid down all of his freedoms to form a new household of faith called the church. And what happens is when you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to submit to King Jesus. We find our happiness in joining him in his kingdom work and actually limiting our freedom to serve one another. Then, this is what happens, then if you choose to grow a household, growing a household becomes a joy, not a limiting of freedom, because it actually is a means of joining God's growing influence in the world through the legacy of marriage and the legacy of children. And what we see is that that the gospel tells us that we can find true happiness through self-sacrifice and prioritizing the kingdom of God above my personal freedom. That's how the gospel speaks to the modern, secular view of the household. Now, the gospel also has something to say to the traditional and religious perspective of the household, and it counters it by stating that the nuclear family is simply one of many tools in God's tool belt to bring his kingdom into the world. And the first place that we go is the gospels, and we see the life of Jesus. Jesus was single. Jesus died a virgin. He died childless, and yet he lived a complete and satisfactory life that was filled with unconditional love. He did not need to have children, physical children, to fully experience and understand what love is. And actually, we see that as we look at the scriptures, that singleness is a sign of faith, knowing that spiritual heirs are just as important as biological in God's kingdom. 
that God's kingdom means that we can have spiritual heirs that carry on our legacy beyond us. We see um, that the gospel, how it speaks to the traditionalism, says that our future is not rooted in earthly households continuing in a perpetuity, but rather in our kingdom investment, that when we invest in the kingdom, that our legacy can live beyond us. And then what the gospel challenges us to see is that children are not an idol for us to lay our lives down to, but rather they are a gift for us to steward and care for. You see, here's the deal. The gospel speaks to the traditional and religious view by saying, we can know true love through prioritizing the kingdom of God above even our family. You see, my friends, this is the beauty of this message. This is the beauty of what God is leading us into as we look at households that change the world, that God is redeeming. God is restoring the entire world back to himself. And our households, regardless of size or dynamics, have the invitation, have the calling to join God in his global renewal efforts. We can join the good news of Jesus in the world regardless of where we are at in our life. And the question is, do you want your household to join with God as he's renewing the world? Do you want to be a household that can change the world? You can be if you join into God's kingdom and you seek first his kingdom. And uh, this next passage, this passage that we're going to look at, that we're going to hang our head on today, is also the passage for our series, and it's in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 31. It says these words, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, listen to this, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God knows your needs. But listen to this. This is the focus. This is the drive. This is the main point for our family. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The mark of the household is not what, what dynamic that you have. It's whether or not you are seeking the kingdom of God or you're seeking to build another kingdom. And we're going to look over the next five weeks through the five lenses of a household. We're going to look at um, a single household. That's what we're looking at today. Um, if you are single, what does your household look like as it seeks the kingdom above all else? We're going to see husbands in the household. Then we're going to look at wives in the household. We're going to look at fathers in the household. And then we're going to look at mothers in the household. And let me pause real quick here, right before we jump into the singles. You might be tempted to click off if you're married. You might be tempted to click off if you're parents. Um, Here's the deal. Regardless of your life circumstances, this topic matters. If you are married or you are parents, you need to understand the value that singles bring to the table in the church. We need to learn how to love them. We need to see their unique role and how they are a part of our family. You need this sermon today if you're married or your parents. Singles, you need to understand the role of husbands and wives. If you want to be married one day, if that's something that you might be called to, invited to, um, this is preparation. If you're called to singleness, then here's the deal. You need to learn to love and care and counsel your married friends on how to live in light of God's kingdom. You need to have this data, this information about how husbands and wives are to work together so you can effectively counsel and be friends with your married friends. And here's the deal. Even if you don't have kids or you're not able to have children, maybe um, you have grown children and different dynamics with them, or or maybe you don't want to have kids. Even if you don't have kids, 
everyone has a biological father and a biological mother. And here's the deal. We are called to be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to all, regardless of our household size. So even if you're a single man in Clarksville, you need to hear about fathers and mothers because you are called to be a father and a mother to the people in your proximity. So don't tune out. Tune in, lean into this today and the next five weeks. This is for everyone, and we need everyone in our family to be on the same page. And if you're joining us wherever you are, this will be immensely helpful for understanding how God views the whole of a household. Um, also, I want to just do a brief shout out to Brett Hicks. Um, he's a pastor of Bay Ridge Christian Church. He had some amazing sermons that I listened to, and some of the the, the points that I'm making are actually going to be um, really informed by the stuff that he's done. So I want to give really good credit where credit is due. We're talking today about seeking first the kingdom in this how a single household. So um, singles in the church and singles in culture. So singles in the church, my friends, if you're joining us in you're a single person. Singles in the church are often maligned. Often, there does not feel like there is a place for you, does it? Often, singleness in the church feels like a placeholder until marriage, like you don't have value until you get married and start having babies. And if that's ever been your experience in the church, I want to apologize to you. On behalf of someone who is pastoring a church, I don't want that to be our culture. And if that's what you've experienced, if you've been a part of a church, I want to apologize to you and say, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's not how God views you. Um, There's also singles in our culture today. Singles in our culture are celebrated. And there is a fear of commitment. There's a fear of freedom, a loss of, of freedom with marriage and with children that I do want to address here today um, if this is something that you are are wrestling with or, or thinking through. Our main point for today is this. A single household is valued in the eyes of God offering unique, offering important, deeply satisfying, long-lasting, joy-inducing contributions to the kingdom of God. And here's my goal for you today. If you're a single person watching this, or even if you're married or parents and you're watching this, learning to understand how we need to address a single household in in our church family, here's the deal. I want to see singles empowered to embrace their God-given singleness for His glory and advancing His kingdom. If you are single, you are not simply unmarried. You are not defined by what you are not. You are defined by what God has spoken to you. And rather, you are in a specific place to be used by God to partner with him as he is changing the world. You have a unique role to play in God's kingdom, whether you are single for a day or single for a lifetime. You can experience true love in the family of God. And you can find true happiness in service to him and in growing his kingdom, not your own. So four points. A single household is the life of Jesus. A single household is valuable, whether it is temporary or permanent. A single household is a signpost of faith. And finally, we're going to look at how a single household is an exercise of directed desire. Let's begin. A single household is the life of of Jesus. My friends, first, we must first and foremost look to Jesus. And as I said a few minutes ago, Jesus was single. Jesus died a virgin. Jesus had no sexual contact with anyone in his life. He lived a completely pure life. And he died without a wife and without biological children. 
Those are the facts as confirmed by church history and what we understand from the scriptures. Let me tell you what is also true about Jesus. Jesus also lived a completely perfect life. Jesus lived an extremely fulfilling life. He was completely obedient to his father. Jesus lived a life that did not include marriage or sex, and Jesus did not lack anything in any way. It says, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And he lacked absolutely nothing in his life. Being single does not mark you as a second-class citizen. Because the most important human being in the world that has ever walked the face of this earth was single. And you are not in a holding pattern waiting for life to begin. If we applied that to Jesus, we would have totally counted him out. So as we look to the life of Jesus, we have to question, what did Jesus do? And I would love, I actually had a passage for each one of these things I'm about to tell you, but because of time and we're introducing this, I can't go through all of them. And you can read them in the Gospels or reach out to me and I can send you some of the passages where Jesus did these things. But if you look at the life of Jesus, the question that we have to ask is, what did this Jesus, this man who is both God and man, who was single his whole life, yet completely satisfied, completely understood what love is, How did he manage his time, his talents, his treasures? What did he devote them to? Well, Jesus devoted them to study. Jesus studied the scriptures. Jesus taught other people about the scriptures. Jesus worked really hard. He worked a normal job for many years. Jesus healed people. He prayed for people. He served. He laid his life down as a sacrifice for others. Jesus fought injustice. And even Jesus invested in children. Like, children loved Jesus. And I just want to speak to the single men that are watching this, who are men in a single household. Um, I don't see a lot of single guys doing that nowadays, although I do see some, and I want to call some of them out later. But single men just don't always like to hang out with kids. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're at a church that has a nursery, or when we begin to meet again as a church family, I want the single guys to work in the nursery. I want you to invest in children. You can know, you can care for children in a godly way. Kids loved Jesus, and Jesus was a single guy, okay? And so, if you eventually want to get married and have children, it's a great training ground. And the great thing is you can invest in them for an hour, give them back, and go home and take a nap. You don't have to deal with them all day, every day, for 18 years that they live with you, okay? Um, however, it's training you. It's teaching you what it looks like to interact and engage with and love and care for children in preparation for marriage and in preparation um, for, for being a parent. And if you are not planning that in your future or don't want that in your future, this is still a responsibility. There's a lot of people that need godly men and examples in their life. And men, you can uh, devote your time and energy to that. What did Jesus do? Jesus did many things. He spent time with many people. He served, he taught, he healed, he spoke out against injustice, and he also loved and cared for children very, very well. Um, We also have to look at the life of Jesus, how Jesus stewarded his freedom. Freedom is a marker of a single household. And the question is, how should you steward that freedom for God's kingdom, not to serve yourself? Look with me at Galatians 5 starting in verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. My friends, um, again, there's a celebration in our secular culture that says um, if you're single, you've got 
more, you've got income coming in um, that's only yours. You can live in smaller apartments that cost less money. You can travel. Again, this idea of sowing your wild oats, making mistakes. The Bible says young men should be sober-minded. Um, the Bible says that, that, that people who are younger need to be known for their righteousness. And it says right here, don't use your freedom to serve your own self, to serve your own flesh. I'm not saying don't do things for yourself, but what that means is, is have the kingdom of God in the forefront of your mind. Serve one another. If you are single, how are you stewarding your freedom towards service? And there are, there are some guys that I know that are truly doing that. Um, there's uh, uh, my friend Bryce who consistently pours into middle schoolers and cares for them well. There's my friend Dustin who um, works with a local homeless ministry in town. There's many other people that I know that are stewarding their singleness and the freedom that that comes with it well and, and carefully. And I want to challenge you, if you are a single household, I want to challenge you to do that and consider that well, because a single household truly is the life of Jesus. Next, we see that a single household is valuable, whether it is temporary or permanent. You see, you can be a single household, and it can form together by a number of reasons. And I just tried to think through all the different scenarios that would cause you to be in a single household. You might be watching this, you might be too young to get married or for it to make sense for you to get married. You might be in a single household by choice. Maybe you desire to get married, but you're just choosing right now not to. Maybe you haven't found the right person yet that you feel like you want to connect your life with, um, or you just have a choice to say, I don't want this right now. You might be in a single household by calling. Maybe you specifically feel like God is calling you to singleness, whether for a season or for a lifetime, and that is completely valid reason. Next, you might be single by divorce because of some brokenness that has happened or brokenness that's happened to you. Um, you might be in a situation where you've been divorced and you are now in a single household. Or finally, you might have been widowed. Um, your spouse might have died, and now that you are in a single household. And my friends, Paul addresses the immense value that a single household brings. And actually, there's a whole chapter devoted to it in 1 Corinthians 7, and we're just going to cherry-pick two or three different um, verses within the context, um, with respect to the context, to understand what Paul is saying about singles in the household. Look with me at 1 Corinthians um, 7, 7 9. Uh, Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am. He was single. But each has his own gift from God, one of a kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I want you to look at what it says here. It says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. My friends, what he's saying is that singleness is a gift and marriage is a gift. You see, singleness gives you a single mind to serve the kingdom. But marriage gives you a partner so that you two together can serve the kingdom. And finally, parenting gives you an opportunity to raise up more people to serve the kingdom. But do you see how it all revolves around seeking first the kingdom? You can be single and be in God's will. Or you can be single and not be. You can be single and build his kingdom or your kingdom. You can be married and be building his kingdom or your kingdom. You can be parents 
and be building God's kingdom or be building your kingdom. It's not about the size of your household or the dynamic of your household. It is about what you are doing with your household. It all revolves around seeking first the kingdom. But, but singleness has some unique benefits as Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 33. He says, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. My friends, what he's saying is is that um, if you're a married man or a married woman, you're worried about your spouse. That takes time. That takes energy. But the unmarried or betrothed man or woman can be anxious about the things of the Lord. You see? And he's saying that I don't want to restrain you either way. I just want you to have undivided devotion to Jesus. You see, the call of God is the same for everybody. The call of God is the same for the single person, for those who are married, or those who are parents. The call of God is to avoid sinful lust, to avoid pornography, inappropriate or codependent relationships. And what he says is embrace holiness in body and in spirit. Some of us might not have a sexually inappropriate relationship, but we have an emotionally or psychologically inappropriate relationship with others. We can be codependent. And that's what it's talking about, being holy in body, but yet also being holy in spirit. And so even if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, um, you might even be married or parenting and be in a codependent relationship with someone that is unhealthy, that's not a holy um, in spirit relationship with someone. And so um, embrace holiness in body and spirit. And really what that marks is self-control. That's what God is calling us to. This is a fruit of the spirit. And he's calling us to self-control and singleness and also in marriage. And Paul kind of ends and capstones this passage by saying in 1 Corinthians 7:38 he says, "So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better." And my friends, what Paul is saying is that we all need different parts to the body, to that part of the family of faith. Um, the body of Christ has elbows and it has knees. It has feet and it has ears, okay? And so some people are called to singleness. Some people are called to be married without kids. Some people are called to be married with kids. Some people are called to be single for a time or to be single for their life. What happens is, is that a single household is valuable, whether it is temporary or permanent. We see also that a single household is a signpost of faith. My friends, if you are single, whether temporary or permanent, you trust in God for heirs, you trust in God for legacy, and you trust in God for family. We all want heirs, right? We all want people to remember us when we die. We want people that will mourn us when we die, that will miss us, right? And, and there's this great quote from Stanley Hauerwas in his book, A Community of Character, and it says, we must remember that the sacrifice made by singles was not just in giving up sex, but in giving up heirs. There could be no more radical act than that. This was a clear expression that one's future is not guaranteed by the family, but by the kingdom of God and the church. My friends, this is where we get our heirs. Our heirs can be both through our biology, but they can also be spiritual as well. We see Paul even calling Timothy and Titus my true sons in the faith. He refers to them as his children. There is a legacy. We're trusting God 
with our heirs. We're also trusting God with our legacy. We all not only want people to mourn us when we die, but we want to be remembered long after we're dead. And so many people look to the continuation of a family, a biological family, um, to, to give that to us. But again, Stanley Hauerwas helps us see that th- there, there might be a different way to look at it. Both singleness and marriage are necessary, symbolic institutions for the constitution of the church's life. That witnesses to God's kingdom. Neither can be valid without the other. Look at what he's saying, how he sees singleness and marriage working together. If singleness is a symbol of the church's confidence in God's power to affect lives for the growth of the church, marriage and procreation is the symbol of the church's understanding that the struggle will be long and arduous. Christians do not place their hope in their children, but rather their children are a sign of their hope that God has not abandoned the world. My friends, sometimes, not always, but sometimes cynicism can promote singleness or a lack of children. Sometimes if you've been hurt by a previous marriage or relationship, um, that might drive you towards singleness out of cynicism. Or if you had a terrible upbringing, that might drive you, that cynicism and fear might drive you to not want to have children. But here's the deal. Marriage and singleness both express hope if focused on the kingdom. Singleness is a hope that our legacy lives on in more than simply our children, but in the kingdom of God. And we see that the kingdom of God grows by baptism and not by births. It grows by people choosing to follow Jesus and not simply by procreation. And we also see that marriage grows God's church through procreation and the discipling of children. So you see how both, when they're focused on the kingdom, have a value and have a place. Not only do we trust in God for heirs and legacy, but also um, a single household trusts in God for their family. Look with me at who Jesus' family was in Luke 8. Jesus' mother and brothers, Jesus was inside a house, and his mother and brothers were outside trying to get in, but couldn't because there's too many people there. And, and he was told this. Somebody came and told him. He said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They want to see you. And look at what Jesus said. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. My friends, a single household must rely on the family, the local church family, as their family as their family unit, as part of their family life. This is why it's so important for us who are married or for those who have children to invite your single friends over for dinner. Build relationships with them. Don't ostracize them because they're not in the same life position as you. And don't think that they don't want to be around kids. Don't think that they don't want to be around somebody that has a spouse. They might want that very much to be in your house, experiencing your household, because the church truly is their family, and they are trusting God for their heirs, they're trusting God for their legacy, they're trusting God and his kingdom and his church for their family. Single households also, you guys can take more risks, you can be more mobile, and you can give more for others. And we look at what this means to forsake all to follow Jesus. Look with me at Matthew 19. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. My friends, this is not a call to reject the family that you have, but rather it's to prioritize God and God's kingdom above all else, which will cause all of your other priorities to fall in line. And so if you are single, you have an opportunity to forsake all, follow Jesus with a single-minded passion. It is truly being single and being a single household can be truly a signpost of faith, trusting in God for heirs and legacy and family, forsaking all.
to follow Jesus. And finally, a single household is an exercise in directed desire. You see, you can truly desire intimacy. And what I don't want for you is to deaden your desires. I want you to direct your desires. I don't want you to deaden your desire for intimacy. What happens is, is that keeps you from sin when you're single, but it keeps you from joy if you were to ever get married. What that does is if you long, if you just deaden the desire for intimacy, what that does is it'll, it'll keep you holy when you're single, but man, it'll crush your soul and your spirit. You'll get into a pattern of, of rejecting intimacy. And then when you get married or you have close friends, it's going to be really hard to find joy when you're there. What you need is you need to don't deaden your desires, direct your desire for intimacy towards God and the church. Uh, direct it towards God and personal devotion, spending time with him. When you are feeling lonely, you go to the one person that can truly satisfy you. Even when you're married, you need to go to God to truly satisfy you. Even when you have children, your children will not satisfy you like God will. And so you're just doing the same thing that married people do. You're doing the same thing that parents do, is turning to God in personal devotion when you feel that lack of intimacy. Also, you can turn towards the church in passionate commitment to community. Some of the people that are the most passionate and faithful to groups are single people because they know and recognize that the church truly is their family. And that is a really healthy and good thing when it's done well and cared for. My friends, we can either squelch or we can indulge our desires. Both things are wrong. We need to redirect our desires to God because if we have him, we have everything we need. When we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to us. And so for my single friends, work passionately for God. Go to bed tired. It's okay. You can do that. When you're serving God's kingdom, you don't have a lot of time for a bunch of superfluous stuff. But you can also rest passionately for God too. You can be secure that you don't need anyone to assign you value because God has already assigned you value. You can truly long for marriage if that's what you desire. You don't want to squelch that. But you don't have to indulge your desires in unhealthy ways. And so the question that I have for you as we think through this is are you single or are you unmarried? What drives your heart? What defines your personhood? You are not defined by being unmarried. You are not defined by something that you are not. You are defined by Christ and what Christ has spoken already over you if you are a follower of him. Look with me at Psalm 84. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Doorkeepers stand outside they get rained on, they get sunburned. He's saying it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than it is to be at the seat of honor anywhere else. And my friends, let me tell you, you, are, you can be single. You are not defined by being unmarried by something that you are not, but you are rather defined by saying that God is truly your chiefest and highest good, regardless of what you may feel in the moment. Now, as we conclude, I know it's being tough. I know it's tough to be single. And it's tough being single in many different ways. But I want to speak to you specifically and say that, my friends, you are valued by your Father. You are loved by God. You can be placed inside of a household of faith 
and let that be your family that comes around you. Your household, your single household matters in the plan of God. Your obedience impacts Christ's church. And your freedom is being used to serve one another. When you use your freedom to serve one another, it helps everyone in your proximity. Married friends, if you're joining us, you need to understand this too. You need to, again, invite your single friends over for dinner. Have them around your families. Have them around your kids. It's okay. It models the family of faith. Please be intentional about that. As we end Matthew 6 again, going back to it, don't be anxious saying what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. For the, or what, who will I marry? <laughs> you can tell substitute that. Who will I marry? Or how will I survive if I don't have someone to take care of me when I get older? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Listen to this. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows everything that you need, and he will provide it for you. Listen to this. This is your job. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't focus on your needs. Don't focus on what you are not. Focus on the kingdom of God in whatever state you are in, and God will add to you everything that you need. My friends, a single household is valued in the eyes of God offering unique, important, deeply satisfying, long-lasting, joy-inducing contributions to the kingdom of God. And all of this is possible because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. And if you're joining us and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, then here's the deal. You can be single, you can be married, you can be a parent, and you won't be satisfied because ultimately your satisfaction comes in joining God's global work of renewal by making Jesus Lord and King over your life. And so the invitation for you today is to repent and believe the gospel say that Jesus is the only way I can be happy and I give my life to him. That's all you got to do. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus today, my friends, I want to encourage you to seek first God's kingdom. Don't seek your kingdom. See whatever freedom that you have as a calling to join God in his global vision to restore and redeem everything as you live as a household that changes the world. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.